In 2005, a Lebanese man named Fadi Boukarem was studying for his graduate degree in California. So he was at home one day, clicking around on the computer, when he noticed something interesting. I was Googling Lebanon on Google Maps, and it didn't show me Lebanon, my Lebanon. It showed me Lebanon, Oregon. So I had no idea. It's like, why would there be a Lebanon outside my Lebanon? So I found a database of all the names of towns in the U.S. I downloaded it, and then there was over 40 of them. It's like, geez. As Fadi learned, the reason there are so many Lebanons in the United States is because Lebanon is mentioned quite a lot in the Bible. And when Christian missionaries began settling in the U.S., they started naming their towns after places they knew from the Bible. Names like Lebanon, Bethlehem, or Nazareth. So Fadi was like, hmm, hitting up all the Lebanons in the U.S., that could make a cool road trip one day. But, you know, life happened. I mean, after that, I finished my MBA, came back to Lebanon, worked in investment banking, then in tax law, consulting, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't until 2016 where I was like, you know what? Life's too short. I want to do it. Today on Kerning Cultures, come with us on a journey to the 47 Lebanons, thousands of miles away from Lebanon, the country. I'm Hibba Fisher, and you're listening to Kerning Cultures, radio documentaries from the Middle East. And one story that always kind of captures my imagination. streets lost culture. And you're listening to Kerning Cultures. Our story today comes from producer Alex Atak, who spoke to Fadi at his apartment just outside of Beirut in Lebanon, the country. I did nothing today. Had breakfast, two manushes. <laughs> That's it. So when Fadi came up with the idea for this trip, his friends and his family were torn as to whether or not it was even a good idea for him to do it. They weren't sure if they wanted him to give up his life and his work in Lebanon to spend months on the road driving around a country where he knew next to nobody. I had two sets of friends, like the friends of the finance world and the friends of the photography world. So the friends of the photography world were like, yeah, do it, you know? The friends of the finance world and the family and all that thought that I pretty much lost my mind. But he planned his route anyway, and to say he was taking the long way around the country was kind of an understatement. The route was to stop at all 47 Lebanon, starting in Seattle, Washington, where he rented an old camper from a guy he met on the internet and set off for Lebanon, North Dakota, his first stop. It's just beautiful, you know, driving on the road and the open, wide, wide open space and all. It's just great. You know, I, I listen to classical music a lot and to uh, bluegrass, country, Celtic. It's a bit varied what I listen to. But I gotta say that I didn't get to listen to a lot of that often because on large parts of the road, I did not have an internet connection. So I had to listen to my thoughts a lot <laughs> instead of the radio. And those two weeks between getting from Seattle to Lebanon, North Dakota, actually, I think, changed me in ways that I didn't think it was possible. For two reasons. One, because my idea of the U.S. was New York, San Francisco. And whatever other towns, it was just through movies. So I'd go there and I'd see town after town where all the stores are boarded up. You know, places are for sale, foreclosed houses, you know, stuff like that. So it was really, really sad. 
I didn't think that they would be as decrepit as they were. I didn't think that it was going to be the situation was as dire as I found it to be. His plan was quite simple. He wanted to just show up in each of these Lebanons and take pictures of the landscapes and the people that he found along the way. But one thing he couldn't have planned for was how much was about to change in America right in the middle of his trip. Because this was the autumn of 2016. Right now, a historic moment. Uh, we can now project the winner of the presidential race. CNN projects Donald Trump wins the presidency. The business tycoon and TV personality. In my mind, when I first gone, I thought it was going to be talking to people and asking them, so how does it feel like having the first woman president? Because at the time, all the polls indicated that she was going to be president, Clinton. When it came to election night itself, he was right in the middle of the U.S. Lebanon, Kansas, the geographical center of the United States. To give you a bit of context, this is a town right in the middle of Kansas, population around 200. And it's literally four kilometers from the actual middle of America, which, by the way, is a six foot high concrete monument unceremoniously titled the geographic center of the contiguous United States. Anyway. I went to bed that night really early on the election because I thought she was going to win. Everybody thought she was going to win. And then I started getting messages on my phone and I woke up and I found that he was winning state after state. And my first reaction was actually I locked the RV, lowered all the shades and I was like, oh, Jesus, I'm in the worst area. <laughs> the next day, it was kind of like the lesson that I learned. I went to a coffee place and I had my camera with me and there were a bunch of people like six older men sitting and they saw the camera and they asked me, could you take a picture of us? And I said, yes. But then one of the men said, could you please take another picture? But without this guy, like he pointed to a guy sitting with them because we're all Republicans and he's a Democrat. And then they started all laughing. Where he found himself at that current moment in the US, it shifted things for him. I think he felt like there was this narrative being played out on the news and on TV that just wasn't what he was experiencing in real life. I went to South Dakota, Lebanon, South Dakota, and it was the librarian who told me, go ask for Hazel in the Long Branch Saloon. This could be like a line out of a movie, seriously. So I went in and went to the Long Branch Saloon. It's all wood on the inside. You know, it looks like it, it was built a long, long time ago. It had a pool table, it had a jukebox and a lot of photographs behind the bar and, and all that. But it was, a, it was not a tiny place, you know, like 30, 40 people could easily fit in there. And Hazel is the bartender and she's in her 70s. And at the time I was hungry, so I thought, can I have something, like, can I order something, you know, to eat? And she said, well, I'll go to the back of the bar, open the freezer, bring me a frozen pizza, let me heat it for you. We called the Long Branch, but Hazel wasn't in that day, so we spoke to her colleague Linda instead. Lebanon Bar, this is Linda. Hi, is this the, the Long Branch Saloon? Yes, it is. Hi, um, I'm calling, I have, I have a kind of unusual... Linda is one of three women who work at the Long Branch Saloon in Lebanon, South Dakota. It's a town of less than 50 people, so this is the only bar in town. And I called them up to ask if they remembered Ferdi. Yeah, I remember him. Oh, you I do? I had my picture taken with him. When I called, it was around 9.30 in the morning for them, and she was just starting her day. But she had some time, so she started telling me more about Lebanon, South Dakota. <laughs> well, we're a very small town. 
There's only about 39 people that live here. We have a bar called the Long Branch, and we also have an elevator in town. The elevator she's talking about isn't the kind of elevator you're thinking of. She means a kind of high-tech piece of farming machinery that digs into the ground and brings grain up from the depths of the earth. We are known for the first outdoor swimming pool built in South Dakota. It was built in 1926. We're kind of a quiet little town. Uh, Fabio was here. I know she says Fabio here, but she means Fatty. He came, we told him to come in on a Wednesday night. We have Dart League on Wednesday night, so there's usually about 24 of us people around here. Could you describe what the, um, I mean, if you were to stand out, if you were to walk to the front door of the Long Branch um, now, I mean, what, what do you see? Well, I'm here all by myself right now. I usually have a couple guys that come in for coffee. I open up at nine o'clock and put the coffee on and I haven't seen any cars go down the street this morning so far. It's been kind of quiet in town. How many cars would you say go by on an average uh, day? On an average day? Oh, well, I don't know. Um, probably 10. I moved here in 72, but I lived in Gettysburg before that, and that was just 10 miles west of here. And I raised my kids here in town. And uh, back in 1972, there was about 134 people that lived here. But as the kids all grew up and went away to school and college and stuff, now it's just a group of us old timers here. <laughs> Of course, I've worked in the bar here for about 43 years, so I've gotten to know a lot of people from all the different towns around here, and we're kind of called the friendliest little, we're friendly people meet. That's kind of our motto, we're friendly people meet. And people have told us they enjoy coming to our little bar because of us. Because I know we're getting up in age, you know, like 75, 73, 71 years old, and uh, I just had somebody here a month ago and says, what are they going to do with the Long Branch when you girls all quit working there? And I'm like, I don't know, because <laughs> we've been here forever, you know? <laughs> Is that kind of a common problem in, in, in your Lebanon, that like um, young people move away to kind of bigger cities or towns? Yeah. 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 Well, you know, when my three girls got out of high school, I just basically told them, you better move to a bigger town because there's no opportunity here you know, to make a career of anything. And uh, and so my kids did move to a bigger town. Does it kind of make you feel sad that so many young people are leaving? Well, yeah, it does. I would say in 50 years, we're, we're not even going to be a little town anymore, I don't think. So back to that moment where Fadi's sitting eating a frozen pizza across the bar from Hazel in Lebanon, South Dakota... The two were talking, and then Fadi made this kind of amazing discovery. I sat in, and I was talking to her, and she said, "What well, were you from? And I said, from Lebanon. And as I said Lebanon, her eyes just lit up. And she said, well, you got to get out of the bar now and go across the street until you find a tree and you'll know what I'm talking about, which I did. And that's where they had a huge sign that says, Cedar of Lebanon, gift from the country of Lebanon to Lebanon, South Dakota. And there was a big tree next to it, and it was not a cedar tree, it was a juniper tree. This is where the story gets interesting. Okay, so let me take you back a little to explain what the heck is going on here. 
1955, the president of Lebanon was Camille Chamon. And while he was president, he invited a group of mayors from towns in the USA called Lebanon over to Beirut on this kind of cultural exchange trip. They came, they spent two weeks here, and after two weeks, the first lady, Zalfa Shamoun, gave each of them a sapling of Lebanese cedar to take back to their own towns to plant them. And this thing about the Lebanon cedar saplings is important because they are the icon of Lebanon. They're on banknotes and they're on the national flag, and if you're Lebanese, they're on the front of your passport. And the connection between Lebanon the country and the Lebanons of the USA is deeper than just the commonality of their names. The first wave of migration from Lebanon to America started in the 1880s, and by 1924, around 200,000 Lebanese had migrated to America. And actually, there's this series of New York Times articles from 1955 that told this story as it unfolded. This is a quote from the first one. The mayors or representatives of eight cities, all named Lebanon, en route to the country of that name, met yesterday and compared one Lebanon with another. Which brings us back to Fadi in 2016, standing in front of this juniper tree that was labelled as a cedar tree gift from the country of Lebanon in 1955. And while he was standing in front of it, he like knew straight away that this was not a cedar of Lebanon. So he started researching where this mix-up came from. I had to do a lot of digging in the archives of the Daily Star and Nahar and Lorient Le Jour in Lebanon, all these newspapers. And then, even after I went to the U.S., I started going from library to library in these places, going, going through the microfiche. I should hold my hands up here and say I definitely had to Google what a microfiche is. Um, it's one of those uh, one of those machines in libraries that like archives old newspapers as um, as tiny slides. The person who was supposed to take care of the cedar trees was a guy called Charles Harris from Lebanon, Nebraska, who wasn't a town mayor himself. Actually, he was um, he was just a representative for the town of Lebanon, Nebraska. The mayor of Lebanon, Nebraska, was like an older guy, so he couldn't make the trip himself. He sent a representative instead, who was Charles Harris, and he was just 23 years old. Like he was a young guy. He was 24 actually, but he was also an agronomy student, which is basically the study of um, plants and soil. So I suppose the rest of the town mayors thought, OK, we'll give these saplings to this guy. He'll do whatever he needs to do with them to um, to adapt them to the U.S. climate and we'll plant them back in the U.S. when it's done. But that didn't happen. This is where the dark part of the history comes in. Charles Harris did not go to Lebanon, Nebraska after Beirut. He decided to go to Jerusalem first because it was close to Easter and he wanted to do a pilgrimage of the Holy Land. And he got killed there. Charles Harris was killed by a Jordanian border guard. Now, the circumstances around his death are um, a little bit lost in time. But another New York Times article from 1955 says, quote, Charles B. Harris of Lebanon, Nebraska, was killed today in the Jerusalem no man's land by a Jordanian guard's rifle shot. A Jordanian sentry shouted a warning. Mr. Harris apparently continued on his way. A shot from the guard killed him, end quote. But because he got killed there, the trees, someone needed to take care of them, so they shipped them to Lebanon, Ohio instead. And the nursery in Lebanon, Ohio, they fumigated them. Okay, so, so this word fumigated, um, I spoke to a Lebanese cedar expert and he basically said it's quarantining them for a period of time to make sure they don't carry any pests or like diseases 
that are gonna infect other trees in the area. And as they fumigated them, six of the seven died. Only one survived and they kept it. But what they did was, instead of telling the other towns that the trees died, they sent them different species of trees and told them that this was a cedar tree. But I didn't have the heart to tell them, by the way. I mean, they were proud of it, you know? So in any case, I went back to the bar and Hazel told me, you can come back in the evening because people could come in. You know, you'll, you'll see more people. So he went back that evening and played darts with some of the with some of the friendly folks from Lebanon, South Dakota, and and left in the morning for his next Lebanon. He continued this trip over the winter, visiting 46 Lebanons over the next four months, and then it was time to come back home to Beirut, back home to reality. But after he'd been back a few months, he got this text message from somebody in Lebanon, Nebraska, somebody he'd met while he was out there with a photograph attached. People started sending me photos of the tree and it got hit by lightning and split in half. Oh I was like, it feels like there's a curse to me <laughs> or something. Keep in mind that this is a tree that had been around for 60 years up until this point. 60 years, 60 years. And it, was, it wasn't something like, you know, like it died. No, it had to be something like, uh, you know, <laughs> so, hit by lightning. So it's something cool. biblical. <laughs> so a plan started to formulate in the back of his mind. What if I can go back around America and repay all of these towns in some small way by gifting them real cedars of Lebanon. So that's what I did. I knew that I couldn't take the cedars from Lebanon because they were going to be fumigated again. And that takes like two years. Instead, I found a nursery in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, <laughs> to keep with the, you know, with the biblical thing. <laughs> so a Lebanese guy, Lebanese American guy, had brought the seeds from here, but had grown the saplings over there. Yeah, he actually reached out to me first. Um, I was following his, uh, his tour, but then he reached out to me. I was like, oh, I know who you are. Okay, so I know the line isn't great here, but this is Bas Salmon, who runs a tree nursery in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I work actually for Apple. I, that's my uh, full-time job, but I also operate a, a nursery called Trees of Joy, and I grow trees that are not very common to this uh, part of the world. And as you might expect, he's also kind of an encyclopedia on cedars of Lebanon. There's even a cedar of Lebanon tree in the White House in Washington, D.C. No way! Yeah. How did that come to be there? Uh, that was in the 70s uh, by Jimmy Carter. He planted that tree along with uh, a group of Lebanese people in the late 70s. So when Ferdi reached out with this kind of strange idea, he was down to help. Yeah, um, it's, it's definitely not uh, uh, what it's not for the money that I wanted to be involved in something like that. I have I adore the cedar trees. I love nature um, and seeing something that started as a seed in my nursery. It's like a baby. And it's like, you know, having a baby that matures into into a big man and goes to college and have a degree in something and have something like accomplished. So seeing a seed that started out in my greenhouse to be planted out in a city called Lebanon is really, really, uh, really, really nice. And I should say, we're not just talking about shipping off a few envelopes of seeds here, which is what I initially thought. 
so when you say post the tree, I mean, what what are you posting? Is it like a seed or is it like a mini tree? Like, what am I imagining here? Uh, so it is a it's a it's a grown tree in a pot with soil and it's you know physically grown and so the trees I've sent them they were already about uh, four years old. And so in the autumn of 2018, Fedi planned his second trip around the U.S. two years after his first trip. This time with the goal to replant eight Lebanese cedars in the towns that Charles Harris's saplings had never made it to. So wherever I go into any of these Lebanons, he'd ship me the trees to the close post office, and that's where we'd plant them. And on this trip, he ended up again in Lebanon, South Dakota. This is the, the small town of under 50 people where he first discovered the mislabeled cedar trees. But he couldn't plant an actual Lebanese cedar here. For one simple reason is that the weather in Lebanon, South Dakota would not allow an actual cedar tree from Lebanon to live. But I did. It was one of my favorite places to go to, Lebanon, South Dakota. So I did go back on this trip and I went there because it was close to my birthday and I wanted to spend my birthday at the Long Branch Saloon. <laughs> I did not do that because my van broke down somewhere else and I was a few days late. But as I got there, I went into the bar and Jan was there. Jan, by the way, is someone else who works at the Long Branch Saloon. And I just was wondering if she's going to remember me from two years ago. So the first thing she tells me, like, not hello, not anything, she said, where have you been? That was the first question. I was like, do you, do you remember me? She's like, yeah, I remember. You were supposed to be here a few days ago. It turns out his aunt, who lives in San Francisco, knew he'd roughly be spending his birthday in Lebanon, South Dakota. So she called the bar, the Long Branch Saloon, to let them know and mailed a tray of baklava to the Long Branch for all of them to eat. She said, you gotta come back tonight. So I came back tonight and it was Jan and Jim and they were playing and they played for me, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. So after spending his birthday in Lebanon, South Dakota, he continued on his trip and one of his next stops was Lebanon, Missouri. I will admit that I teared up a little bit when the mayor of Lebanon, Missouri came and he presented to me with a proclamation of friendship between like an official one between their town and our country. So this is the proclamation that Mayor Jared Carr of Lebanon, Missouri, signed on that day. Okay, here's the proclamation. I will read it twice. We hired a voice actor to read it. The city of Lebanon and communities across America share a bond with the country of Lebanon, not only through name, but friendship. And Americans have growing social, cultural, and economic ties to the global community as we seek to communicate with and understand our partners from different language and cultural backgrounds. And it was something, I mean, I mean, the words in it, that was just like, it, it was touching. Though thousands of miles may separate our countries, our communities are bonded in friendship and a historic connection dating back to 1955. And the mayor actually designated an entire day to this. 
September 20th in Lebanon, Missouri, is now the day of friendship between the Republic of Lebanon and the town of Lebanon, Missouri. Over these four months, Ferdi planted eight trees in eight different Lebanons. And in some way, that brings us full circle. He'd set out to correct a six-decade-old mistake, um, a mistake that he wasn't even looking for, and he'd done it. What was the most surprising for me was how close, in terms of culture, the rural people were to the mountain people of Lebanon. The kind of hospitality where it's taken for granted when you see someone who's a stranger, that they will invite you to their home and they will feed you until you can't eat no more. I mean, what I learned was something that I should have known before, which is that do not generalize and do not stereotype. The thing is that in here, we kind of react badly when people stereotype us, but it's as if it's okay for us to stereotype them. And that's, that's not right. There is no such thing as the average American. There is no such thing as the average any citizenship. But it took that trip for me to understand that. This episode was produced by Alex Atak with editorial support from Bella Ibrahim, Dana Balut, Zena Duidar, and myself, Hiba Fisher. Sound design by Alex Atak. Bella Ibrahim is Casey's wonderful marketing manager as well. Special thanks to Robert Ald, who read out the mayor of Missouri's legal proclamation for us. And thank you to everyone who spoke to us for this story. Fadi Bukaram, Bas Samman, who runs Trees of Joy, Linda and Hazel McRoberts, who work at the Long Branch Saloon in Lebanon, South Dakota. You can read more about Fadi's trips, see photographs from it all on his blog at LebanonUSA.com or on his Instagram at LebanonUSA. We'll post a few of his photographs on our website, too. So just click the link for this episode page in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Until next time.